God bless each of you tonight. You know, your presence here tonight is pretty special. Each one of you counts for how many? And uh, so this is, this is a special time. It's special because <clears throat> God is here, and he doesn't depend on the amount of others that are here for his presence to be here. As Galen said, we're two or three, and God is present wherever his child is. And so tonight we just have a, a presence here that goes far beyond any uh, visible uh, presence of people that there could be. And thank you, Galen, for those words from Psalm. That was just a real refreshing and... I trust that, that we can identify with the psalmist in, in this search for belonging, the search for home. And tonight, that is going to be the theme, in part, our search for home, finding the Father, going back to the Father. I also appreciate that song. Father, I stretch my hands to thee, no other help I know. If thou withdraw thyself from me, ah, whither shall I go? What did thy only son endure before I drew my breath? What pain, what labor to secure my soul from endless death? Oh, Jesus, could I this believe, I now should feel thy power. Now, my poor soul, thou wouldst retrieve, nor let me wait one hour. Author of faith, to thee I lift my weary, longing eyes. Oh, may I now receive that gift. My soul without it dies. My prayer tonight is that we would receive the gift that God has for us. He is so good. He is so good. And I just have a few thoughts again before going into the message tonight. I'm not sure how to handle this um, situation that we're in. It certainly provides a conversation piece, doesn't it? Um, often <laughs> the first thing we talk about when we see each other. And uh, so it's gained a lot of importance and a uh, pretty high level of, uh, of, um, of it's, it's very visible. And so I just feel, felt again the need to, to just address what we're all thinking about. And maybe that can help us to put it a little bit to one side and concentrate and move our eyes to Jesus tonight rather than <clears throat> keeping it focused on coronavirus. I was thinking about this, this verse in Psalm 20, verse 7. And I'm not sure how it relates to this um, 
present situation, but I think there's something there that we can, we can take. It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses. And we could fill in uh, the blank there for what people are trusting in today and maybe what I tend to trust in today. And there are things that we are responsible for and we need to do. Um, the, those that are in the medical field know that there are things that are, are important and we should do. And, uh, but I think it's important at a time like this to not shift our trust into things or protocols or uh, whatever else it may be, even a vaccine. The psalmist goes on to say, but we will remember the name of Jehovah, our God. Meaning, I think, that we're going to trust in him while others trust in chariots and horses and whatever else we're going to trust in God. The, um, in, 19, in 1519, when the Black Death reached Zurich, Switzerland, there was the, this was the home of, of uh, Zurich Ulrich Swingley, the reformer. <clears throat> it says the disease eventually wiped out a third of the population. Swingley had been on vacation. While everyone else fled the city, however, he courageously dove back in to care for and comfort the sick and to tell them about the hope he had in Jesus. As he risked his life, believing Christ still had many in his contaminated city, as uh, we read in Acts chapter 18, there were still many of the Lord's people, or many that were destined for, for salvation in the city, he said he... <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. He would he would be with him in his perils, as as uh, the scriptures also indicated the promise of being with his children. It says, while he believed that, he caught the disease and nearly died, but not in vain and not without hope, for he suffered in the path of love. And he wrote several poems during that time while he was ill, with lines like these. In faith and hope, earth I resign. Secure of heaven, for I am thine. And then later, as his symptoms worsened, he said, He harms me not, I fear no loss, for here I lie beneath thy cross. Swingley did recover. Swingley's hope in heaven did not make him reckless or selfish in the face of sickness and death. And probably those are the two extremes that we can easily fall into in a time like this. But it filled him with courage and unleashed him to see and seek to meet the needs of others. And you know, May, we, we could easily be faced with opportunities. We don't know. But let's, let's be open to opportunities that God might give. And knowing what was at stake and what was waiting for him on the other side of death, he accepted the danger at enormous risk to himself to care for the suffering, especially those destined for eternal suffering.
May the same be true of us, someone wrote, as Christians move toward, not away from neighbors in need. As churches open our arms and doors, if hospitals become full and overwhelmed, as we embrace the right risks at the right times, and so fill our fearful cities with the name of Jesus. Could it be that we have a ministry, a God-given um, something special through this? I don't know. Somebody else said, to put things a bit into perspective, and I don't know if this is exactly current, but it was a couple of days ago at least. It says, more babies will die by abortion today than all those who have died by the coronavirus up till now. And there's no outrage and no news and no coverage. No one bats an eye. May God just help us to know how to relate to these issues. Found out today in Costa Rica, schools are closed and um, there's a lot of shortages. I think it might be worse than it is here. And uh, so the churches there are also trying to find their way through this and, and uh, seeking to, to respect and um, heed to the government's mandates, but sometimes it's hard to know, you know, where, where we should go. I think we should just be really open with the Lord, and if he gives us opportunities to serve, I, I'm just thinking, you know, depending on where this goes, we may have opportunities that we've never had before. Let's just be open to the Lord. Let's bow our heads for prayer before we continue. <clears throat> Father in heaven, tonight we just want to give you your right to do what you want to do and what you, what you have uh, planned to do with this, this outbreak that is affecting the whole world. And Father, you know how things will be far ahead. and We don't. I pray tonight again that you would take away fear and you would help us to put any anxiety on your shoulders. You've asked us to do that. And we want to do that tonight. And then I pray too, Father, that as we focus on what you have to say to us tonight, I pray that you would remove those distractions that would tend to, to uh, draw us away from what you're wanting to tell us. And whether those that are listening are the few that are here with us tonight or those at home and listening on the phone, I just pray, God, that you would anoint each one, each ear, each heart, and help us to receive your message, the message that you have for each one of us. I pray that you would anoint us, O oh God, and that your Holy Spirit would take control of each heart. I pray that you would guard us from those distractions and help us to turn our eyes to you. May you speak to us tonight. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
So yes, we're continuing with this story of the son, the lost son, the prodigal son. And tonight, I'd like to look at his homecoming, the son's homecoming, the return to his father. And with that, I would like to have us um, focus, I would like for us to, to uh, think about what the father's love is like. We, we see something so beautiful here when this son came back home. And I think Jesus wanted us to understand his father's heart for us. And I hope we can, we can get a glimpse of that tonight. We ended last night on the note of the lost son's repentance. And that was so beautiful to see his heart turned, 180 degrees, turned toward home. Tonight, we want to look at that homecoming and some of the elements there that can help us understand what it means to come home. Let's just read from verse 20 to 24 in Luke chapter 15. After he had made this decision to go home, I will arise and go to my father. He says in verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. He arose and came to his father. This young man was not just empty talk. He carried out his decision. He followed through with what he had decided. I will arise and go to my father. That's what he had said. But until now, those were mere words. And really didn't have a lot of weight until his feet followed his words. He arose and came. He arose and came. So how long might it have taken for him to get home? I was just wondering. How far away from home was he? <coughs> it says when he left, he went into a far country. Now today when you go into a far country, not necessarily does it take that long to get to a far country. But in that time it certainly did. And it was not um, boarding an airplane and sitting down and waiting until you get there. It was walk and walk and walk and walk. But he came and he acted on his decision. Let's just imagine a little bit that long road home. Can you imagine what was going through his mind? 
Now, we don't have any indication that he had any desire to turn around now. He was on his way home. But I can just imagine the arguments that went on in his mind as he was trudging toward home. And he began to imagine this encounter with his father. That's the way we are. When we face something really big, we're, we're mulling it over and we're imagining often worst-case scenarios about how this might come off. And I can just imagine he had a lot of time to think about that, and he kept going. He kept going toward home. He kept going toward home. We have no indication that he was thinking about turning around. He was determined to carry out his decision. I do wonder, do you suppose his steps may have gotten a little bit slower the closer he got? How is this going to turn out? What is Dad going to say? How will he respond after all that I have done? I don't know. But I would think that he had a, a tsunami of, of thoughts just roaring in his mind. And I was thinking, in, in, in real life, when we have to make a decision to go and reconcile with someone that we've been at odds with. You know, about this time is one of the worst struggles in going back. We may decide we need to go back, we're going to go back, but all at once, this thing looms ahead of us. What is going to happen? He probably thought about what he had done how he had spurned his father's love and, and his father's care for him. And how was he going to be received? Was this reception going to be a cold one of rejection? And, and uh, so he had decided that he would ask his father to be a servant. Maybe his father would reluctantly accept him as a servant if he stayed out of the house um, with a certain kind of stipulations. I can just imagine that he was struggling with all kinds of thoughts. But I'm impressed and I'm encouraged. It seems like when he arose to go to his father, he went with a determination and it seemed, it, I think, I believe that as he made that decision, then there was grace for him to be able to do that. Don't you find that? Haven't you found that in your life? Find you, you have to do something so difficult. Once you've made the decision and rise to go, God gives the grace for the rest. That's so beautiful. So a step of faith, a step toward of, of obedience brings that power and grace in our lives that we need to go further. And then we notice in this story, when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. We have here the beautiful picture, the embodiment of, of love and compassion, an overwhelming display 
I don't think this young man was expecting it. I really don't think so. That was probably a shock, a surprise to the young man. How did his father know that he was coming to come out there and meet him? Well, he must have been watching. And he didn't have any, he hadn't received a text message that today I'm going to come home. Would you come and meet me? He didn't even have a letter to warn him that he's going to be coming one of these days. His father didn't know when he would be coming, if he would be coming. But he was there. He was waiting. He was watching. I can hardly grasp that. He must have been expecting his return. And then we have the son going through his rehearsed words. He had prepared himself to lay himself before his father. Father, I have sinned against thee. I have sinned against heaven. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Such true words and words of repentance. Before he could, it seems to me that he had to, you know, his father grabbed him and, and hugged him. I don't know if he started blurting out these words before the, the hug was over or not. But it seems to me that he probably he may have, I've got to get, I've got to tell him now and blurt it out what he had to say. I have sinned. He confronted the core issue right away. There just wasn't any um, small talk. There wasn't any, it look, doesn't look like there was any conversation before he began, Father, I've sinned. I, I've wronged you, and I've wronged God. That was his introductory statement to his father. And it shows how, how genuine his repentance was, how genuinely he felt that tremendous need in his life and his, his, the sin that he had committed. His repentance, I think, was no, there was no doubt that it was very, very genuine. But then here we notice something so beautiful. It seems that the Father's love kicks right in here. <laughs> and... And he wasn't able to finish what he was going to say. It seems like he didn't let him finish his proposition. When he said, bring forth the robe. Now, robes aren't for servants. His intention was to accept his son back into the family, back into the sonship. That which he really had thrown off any right to being a son. He was very right when he said, I'm not worthy to be a son. He was dead on. But his father received him and immediately wanted to put on the robe. This was, an honor. This was, this was a robe of honor. This was an honor as a son being restored. 
And the, the Vulgate Latin adds that he said, do it quickly, get that robe quickly. Put it on him quickly. Can you imagine what this son may have looked like? Maybe he was, well, I, I'm, I don't know if he was embarrassed with his rags or not, but I'm, I can just imagine that this son was, was just pretty, uh, pretty bad looking. I don't think his clothes had anything to be desired. And, and, you know, he may have been pretty stinky, pretty smelly, having fed the hogs. If there's one thing, I, I remember when I was young, we had some hog farmers in our congregation, and, and somehow some of that came along to church sometime. That was not, there's not many things that I like to smell less than, than hogs. But you don't, you don't notice any kind of that kind of hesitation or reservation with the father. He just hugged him, and then... Yes, he wanted to put on a robe. And this robe was, was an indication that he was accepting him as his son, putting him back into the family. He came home in rags, and his father was saying, I'm receiving you, just as you are. And I'm sure that he felt and saw, perceived the repentance in this young man, in his son. And then he says, bring the ring. Uh, this may have had something to do with authority in the, in the family or as a son rather than a, a servant. Um, not sure what all this had, what all the meaning of this was. Shoes on your feet. This was what distinguished, apparently, the sons of the family from the servants. And the father was wanting to make sure that this son realizes you are a son. I am receiving you as a son again. Put shoes on his feet. I, somebody made this connection, you know, there's uh, the Negro spiritual song, I've got shoes, you've got shoes, all God's children got a shoe. Could it be that they that that context is also a, an in, uh, a, a longing for, for heaven, for sonship, for restoration to the family. I don't know. Anyway, this was the beginning of a feast for this, this family. Bring the fatted calf. I don't know if that calf was being fed for this occasion. Not necessarily, maybe, but it was... It was there. It was, this, is a, this is such an important time. We're going to really feast. We're really going to celebrate tonight. That great joy of victory and restoration. And what was the reason? His father gives a very interesting answer to the reason for this. For this my son was dead and is alive again. Dead, in what sense? Death, we noticed earlier, is separation. Almost any form of death, maybe all forms of death, are some form of separation. And his son had been separated from him. 
His son was dead to him. He had rejected his father, rejected his family, rejected all that he had. And there was a separation. There was a, there was a leaving and a distance. And so in that sense, his son was dead. And all at once he was here, repentant, coming back home. My son was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is found. This was the lost son that was now found. He was dead. Now he's alive again. Lost. Now he's found. <coughs> so I'd like to just examine this father's love and how that compares with our father's love. And I'd also like to especially for us as fathers, to think about a father's love. So far, we've been concentrating on the son. The parable is called the prodigal son, and rightly so. But so much of this parable actually focuses on another hero. And that hero is the father. And in the spiritual sense, that hero is God. And there is no other character more important in our story than God. And so I think it's important for us to really examine what we have here. This father who depicts our father and also gives us uh, a a picture of what we as fathers should also endeavor to be to our children. It's almost a shocking or an outstanding element in this parable, the love that this father had, the concern and, and the, the forgiveness, almost inconceivable, even more so than I think that we can understand in our culture, I think it was even more inconceivable that this father would again accept his son. In the Jewish culture, he probably would not have been allowed to come back home. And Jesus, as a Jew and as a ministering to the Jews was using a story that probably kind of shook them up. How could a father do something like that? That wasn't culturally acceptable. So Jesus used a story of an extreme case in their culture, and this would surely impact them, I'm sure. So what are some elements that prove the love of this father? From the very beginning of this story, the father's love was being proven. He gave this young man the demanded inheritance. And he knew that giving this inheritance to his son meant to lose it. And he knew that this son was making a very wrong decision. And, you know, for him to let his son go and know that he was, like someone mentioned, I think, last night, 
where um, you know that someone is making a wrong decision, maybe your son or daughter is making a wrong decision, and you know that up ahead there's going to be a train wreck, there's going to be a, a bridge out, there's going to be suffering and hurt and pain that they could avoid if only they would listen. But there's times when we just have to let go. We can't make a decision for them. This father did that. Now there's an, an element in this story that's significant. The other two stories of the lost sheep and the lost coin. We notice that the, the owner, the main character, went after the sheep and after looked for the coin. There was someone that actually went to where these, these items were and to find them. But in the, in the case of the, of the lost son, this father did not go and look for him. He let him go and then waited. The son had left on his own will, full well knowing that this was contrary to the will of his father, and the son would need to make that decision. It would have to be a, a, a decision of his own will to come back home. In the case of the sheep, he probably left without a will being involved. And the sheep certainly was not able to find his way home. This young man knew the road because he had gone the road and he had the ability to make those decisions. His will was involved in his rebellion and in his, in his uh, leaving his home, it would have to be his will, it would have to be him that would decide to go back home. And we notice how, how, how he did it. I will arise and go to my father. In this case, the father was not going after his son, but he was at home waiting. And every day, I can imagine... I think he must have been waiting every day, wondering when my son will come home. And I don't know how long a time had passed. This may have been a good long time. We only know that the day that he came home, there his father was waiting for him. With hope, apparently. With expectation, apparently. He was obviously ready to receive him. He wasn't so shocked when he saw his son coming that he fell over in a faint. He was expecting him, it seems like, but he was totally overjoyed. When he saw signs of his son returning, it says he ran. He didn't wait for his son to come to where he was. He ran when he saw that his son was coming. To meet him. I don't know what all that means. I was, I was trying to think about that today. I don't know what it all means in your case or mine as fathers who are waiting for the return of a prodigal son or daughter. You know, we wait and watch for signs of a return and and probably we don't know very well how to be a, a good father and wait the way this father did. 
but I think we can learn from him. You see here tremendous love. And even this, his running to meet his son was out of Jewish protocol. It was not what they would do. But it shows again his extreme love. Apparently, what his son had done to his father in the Jewish culture would have, could have merited a stoning when he came home. And I don't know how that, you know, the rest of the, I, I wondered how the rest of the community accepted his, this son coming back home. And did the father go out, outside of the city? Did he want to meet him outside of the city to prevent him from being stoned? I don't know all of that. But we do know that it was love that drove that father out there. And it was, it was faith. It was a believing that his son would come back home and he was waiting for him. As a Jew, he could have disowned his son forever. What he had done was worthy of disowning him. What we have done is worthy of being disowned as well. But thank God he is waiting for us to come back. According to the tradition, uh, yeah, he, he may have been stoned if he would come back. So here we have an example of extreme love. His father, after he received him and put that robe on, his, on, on him and his uh, ring on his finger and the shoes on his feet, he said, let's make a great feast here. Bring the fatted calf. Great joy was experienced. We notice that in the other parables as well. When the lost was found, there was great joy. It speaks of forgiveness. It speaks of acceptance. The best robe. There was no doubt that he was not accepting the son's proposal of not being worthy of being his son and the other part that he maybe never heard, that he just wanted to be a servant, but he was fully restored as a son. And so is our Father in heaven. I, I, I think one of Jesus' main purposes for sharing this story was to show the people how the Father's heart operates, how, who this Father is. And, and we'll notice that also in, in his, um, the last part of this parable, the, the, the other son, the older son. The parable speaks so clearly of how our Father feels about us. His love never changed, even through that rebellion and, and the um, rejection that he had, he had faced. It seems he never left that lookout waiting, when will my son come home? When will I see him again? His love is so ready to forgive and accept. There he is waiting to receive that repentant, soul, the one who returns in broken humility. And we have many scriptures that, that um, verify that. I'd like to just, just share three scriptures that show us how great the Father's love is for those who come to him 
with a broken heart and contrite spirit as this son had done. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good, and he wants good for us. That's the Father's heart. He is good. He is all good, and he is always good. In Psalm 51, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise, thou wilt not refuse. The broken and contrite heart, God is just waiting for that heart to come to him. He's waiting to forgive, he's waiting to cleanse, he's waiting to accept, as this father was waiting to accept his son coming home. And then Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, his name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. God longs for, those, for us to come to him with broken hearts, with the spirit of this young man who said, I have sinned against God and I have sinned against you. I am a sinner. I am not worthy. And with that kind of spirit, God accepts whoever comes to him. That's who he dwells with, the psalmist said. This is how our Heavenly Father is. One of the most beautiful pictures of a father's love, of his forgiveness and his acceptance that I know of. This father receiving this young man. And then I'd like to think of us as fathers. The picture of this holy and heavenly father is also an example for us. And we can never be, we can never come to the, the standard of who our Father is. We can never reach that perfection at all. But I can't leave this story without thinking about that and, and try to understand what this may be saying to us as fathers here tonight and those who are listening. <coughs> we as fathers struggle so often because we aren't perfect, we often make mistakes. Our wisdom is so limited. And even our love is not always pure. Sometimes it's selfish. Sometimes we think too much of ourselves. And so our love is not even pure. It's not nearly always without selfishness. And our hearts often harbor things that may hinder our children from being able to relate to us and maybe to come home. We make so many mistakes. And we're so far from ideal or perfect. And when we make mistakes, oh, we can hardly forgive ourselves. As I was preparing this this afternoon, I was thinking about this and 
And then we began to receive some texts from my daughter. And my heart just kind of bled for a while. What have I done? What can I do? I can well imagine that this father in the story felt like he was a failure when the young man came to him demanding his inheritance. How is it possible, maybe he said, that my son can do this to me? I've tried to be a good father. After all I've done for him, why? How is it possible, even probable? How, how could it be? And maybe there was some kind of a, a, a rift forming between the two. Maybe they didn't have the best relationship. Maybe the father didn't have his, his son's heart. I don't know. At any rate, all of a sudden, this terrible thing happens. This terribly humiliating thing. And this is about the worst thing that can happen to a father. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are living that right now. Some of us know what this is like. And I'm sorry for you. The pain is awful. The pain is so intense, so deep. And regrets abound. And questions loom. What can I do about this? It's much the same for you mothers. But in this story, the father is a focus, and we are responsible as fathers in our home. Let's learn. Let's see if we can learn some things from this father. The father had come to a place where he had to let his son go. Painful as it was, he had to let him go. Is there anything that tears so bad at a father's heart as to let a child go when you know <coughs> that the direction this child is, is taking is doomed for, for pain and hurts. <clears throat> when that happens, there's a part of him that is torn out. A part of his heart is torn out. And it's, it's not, uh, I had to think of this way. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I was... <clears throat> I was sawing with a, with a, a handsaw. <coughs> it was a very simple cut. And my little uh, four-year-old grandson was watching me. He was right beside me. And here I was cutting back and forth. It was just a little cut. And it was, I knew that I needed to be very careful not to, um, to put too much pressure on because pretty soon it would go through. And I had my, my other hand over here holding the, uh, the piece that I was working on. But it went through a little quicker than I was expecting, and I just sliced my thumb. And it hurt something terrible. My grandson said, I, I thought maybe that would happen. <laughs> wow. And, uh, but the cut... Today, I, I happened to hit it. It's closed. You can't even see it. It's closed, but today I happened to hit it a little bit, and it just hurt something terrible again. And the cut was so ragged, ugly, 
uh, jagged. It just was, it was, it was a, not a nice, clean cut. And I was thinking, well, that's the way our hearts are when something like that is torn out. It, it leaves a very jagged and, and horrible cut, and it's hard to heal. Painful and ugly. But this father, in the story, never gave up. He waited, he expected, he didn't, it doesn't say that he was praying. But there's no doubt in my mind that God wants us as fathers to continually pray and not give up in prayer. I know of a father whose son left, and it's been over 20 years, maybe 25 years, and he continues to pray, and he continues to pray. And he asks God sometimes to just give a confirmation that he's still listening, that there's something that might be happening in this, in this man's life. And God is often just shown, given little indications. But the man has still not come back. And he keeps praying, and he keeps praying. I just believe God wants us to continue to bring this burden to him. The father was not afraid to be ridiculed in this case for his expectations. That's, that's significant. He went out of the village to wait on him, but he waited. And then upon his return, this father forgave. You know, he could have had quite a list ready when he came home, when this young man came home. I will forgive, but, you know... It can't be the same anymore. <coughs> I'll forgive, but <clears throat> we're gonna we're gonna have some restrictions here. <clears throat> we're not gonna it's not gonna be like it was before. He could have gone over the whole list of things that he had done wrong. It didn't seem that that was necessary. It seemed like the the son when he came home. He included all of that in the package, I have sinned, and I'm not worthy. And he could have immediately set conditions for his homecoming and his being accepted and putting him into a time of punishment for what he had done. And I'd like to, to be very clear tonight, <clears throat> you know, in, in church issues sometimes we have, peop we have people who, 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 who err and, and fall into... Uh, into sin and come back and I don't know how you do it here but sometimes we need to put we need to, to take special time with those people to restore them and disciple them and 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 help them to get back on their feet and sometimes that's called a time of discipline and there's a tendency sometimes I think to look at that as a time of punishment uh, I remember in in uh, there was a man that was visiting our church He'd been a part, I guess, of, a, of an evangelical church. And he told me how they, they uh, practiced discipline in that church when somebody did something wrong. Uh, I don't remember all the details, but one of the details was that, that he had to sit on the back bench every time he came and stay back there. Didn't sound quite good to me, but anyway. I believe that we need to, uh, you know, in, in restoring and, and uh, helping people to restoration, understand that this is not punishment, but this is a time of 
discipleship and mentoring and helping to get back on his feet. And, and this, this uh, father, I don't know what kind of uh, program that he developed there, but at least he didn't, he didn't see uh, the need of punishing his son. Forgiveness was complete, and there was complete restoration. His son, although he didn't know how this reception was going to be, it, it impresses me that his confidence in his father was enough to go back home. I'm going home. I, I think he knew his father well enough that he could do that. And that is such a challenge for me. Am I that kind of father? And I know that our Heavenly Father is like that. How can we be sure that we are sending that kind of message? That, that the prodigal son or daughter is being pulled toward home. And that's a challenge. And, and, and I, I, I want to learn. As fathers, we need to convey a message of love and reception. And in a church setting, I believe it's very important to convey that same kind of message to those that are wayward, those who have left. The doors are open. Come back. Come home. We're waiting for you here. Is there that kind of love and acceptance that, that draws those wayward sons and daughters to come back to be a part of the fellowship? Please come home. Now, how do we wrap that up for tonight? <coughs> you know, every one of us, there's not very many of us here tonight, and I don't have any idea how many are listening tonight on the phone. But whether we're here, whether we're on the phone listening tonight, I am sure that most of us can find ourselves somewhere in this story. And maybe some of us find ourselves in different places in this story. And I would just like for us to consider, where am I in this story? Tonight, you may be the father or the pastor who is having to let go of a rebellious son or daughter or church member. And it seems impossible you would be willing to die if it, would meant, if it would mean you would stay at home. I know that feeling. I, I, I understand that. And it's so difficult to know when to let go. Maybe you're in that position tonight. You may be the son or daughter who is contemplating going to a far country. Maybe you're a young person tonight that is disillusioned with home and sees the out there as being very attractive and it's drawing you and maybe you're considering leaving home, going to a far country. I would say to you tonight, please know that what is being offered you, what you see before your eyes is a, is a terrible snare, a trap. It's a lie. And it's Satan offering you that tonight to 
to get you far away from God and from those you love. And it is for the express purpose of destroying you. Reconsider what you're about to do, if that's in your mind. Because there's a bridge out up ahead, and you're going to crash. There's a train coming. You're going to, receive, you're going to experience pain that you never should have needed to experience. Maybe you're one who has already made a wrong decision in the past and are far away from home now. And you may argue that, yes, I, I wish I could go home, but my father is not like this father was. And that may be true. And he wouldn't receive me home. Maybe that is the way your father is. But you know, you have a heavenly Father who is waiting for you. He will make sure, I believe, and I have that confidence, that because our heavenly Father is so, uh, he has limitless power, and he loves us so much, that I believe that if we don't have an earthly Father that will receive us back, or maybe even pastors that will receive us back, our heavenly Father will. And he will provide us with those people to support us and love us and carry us on and disciple us. I encourage you tonight to make that decision. I will arise and go back to my father. And maybe you are tonight the father, still waiting, still praying, still longing and still watching. I say, let's not give up. It may take a long time, but let's not give up. Let's keep on. Maybe your position is not any of these, but you still identify with this story. I just encourage all of us to just open our hearts to God. God, what do you want to teach me through this? What are you telling me? He that hath ears, let him hear what God is trying to tell you tonight. Let's pray. And I'd like to just spend about a minute here in silence. There's many of you out there that are listening tonight. And I would like to encourage you, wherever you are, in your home, to just take a minute now and have a, a time of prayer together. And we're just going to be silent here, and we're going to be praying in our hearts as the rest of you have a time of prayer and sharing together wherever you are. And so we're going to just have a time of, <clears throat> excuse me, a time of silence here. Each one of us praying here. And those of you who find yourself in your home, wherever you are listening, would you just have a time of sharing together in prayer? Let's pray.
Open up your heart to God. Allow him to speak. Hear his voice. Thank you, God. Hear our prayer. Hear our hearts. Heal our hearts, Lord. So, Father, we bow before you tonight, our hearts, our longing tonight, Father, for you to heal, to touch, to restore. Father, you know each of our hearts, wherever we are, and I pray tonight that you would minister in a very real and personal way to each one tonight. And we just glorify your name, Lord. You are worthy. There is no other name worthy of honor and glory. Tonight we praise you and honor your holy name, Father. Thank you for being a Father who is waiting for us, longing for us, beckoning us watching for us. Praise your name. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.